What up, world? It's your past first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. For today's show, I want to talk about losing to good teams, Anthony Simons' two-game stretch of looking kind of like the Anthony Simons maybe we thought he was going to be, and an injury update on Scalabissiere. What we know and what it might mean for the Blazers going forward, but let's start with the Blazers losing to good teams. They've lost three in a row. They started this losing streak by losing to a bad team, losing to the New Orleans Pelicans. That was terrible news. Pelicans are playing a little bit better. They've won three in a row, including that win over the Blazers, but they had lost 14 of 15 coming into that game, and why that game was doubly troubling or triply troubling, whichever number you'd like to multiply it by, is because the next two games were tough. The Blazers came out after two days off for Christmas and were at the Jazz in Salt Lake City, and then they came back on Saturday evening and hosted the extremely good Los Angeles Lakers, who were coming in losers of four in a row. And the Blazers played well enough to win against two playoff-level teams in back-to-back games and ended up losing them both. They're 14-19, and 33 games into the season. They're 8-8 eight and eight at Moda Center and 6-11 and away from home. These are kind of what numbers that bad teams put up. The Blazers are starting to smell like a bad team. If you were listening to this podcast, I've been saying it for a, for a while that the Blazers maybe stink. They're still probably going to make the playoffs or at least be right there for, battling for the eighth seed. I could see them likely pushing all the way to seventh. But we're seeing this troubling trend. The Blazers, by my math, have beaten one team with a winning record. Although I do realize that we have change the way we calculate that because now the Thunder, who the Blazers have beaten twice, have climbed a game over 500. That would make the Blazers 3-13 and 13 against teams with winning records. I would argue the Thunder did not have a winning record either time they played the Blazers, including a loss the Blazers had against the Thunder, who were under 500 at the time. But I don't want to rehash um, how to count those things. If you'd like to count um, winning records as current records, that's cool with me, guys. That is t- totally, totally acceptable. What I want to ask is, is it too late in the season? Is it the wrong time of year to start talking about moral victories? Because I I believe pretty earnestly that the Lakers game, the Blazers played well. I, I didn't think they could win that game. They were in it basically until the final 15 minutes. Lakers closed the third really strong on the strength of Rajon Rondo. And then down the stretch... It was just too much. LeBron James was just too good. He just he orchestrated the offense really well. They got a couple breaks. Contavious Caldwell Pope hit a couple big threes. Anthony Davis hit some shots that mattered. They just couldn't hang around. That game highlighted the Blazers' lack of depth. Lakers got 20 points off the bench from Kyle Kuzma. Blazers got a nice game from Anthony Simons, who we'll talk about in the second segment, but they just don't have a lot of depth. And importantly in that game, Th- less than three minutes in, they lost Scalabissiere for the remainder of the game. They started big against that Lakers team. They started Scal and uh, Hassan Whiteside together and, and moved Carmelo down to the three and went big against the giant Lakers front line. And that experiment lasted about two minutes and 35 seconds. But I thought they played well to be in it. Only down seven at halftime. In striking distance, entering the fourth quarter, and they never really, it never really totally got away from them. The Jazz game, 
the Blazers were were worse, right? Down 23. But they had the ball down three in the fourth quarter and had a chance to tie the game. They had a couple a couple plays go differently. Rudy Gobert doesn't slap that ball out to Bogdanovich for a crucial three. If Carmelo maybe gets that three off a little bit quick and doesn't get blocked by Gobert, maybe they're they're right in the game. But I don't want to say, the, the ifs don't really matter, I'd say. that That's why I want to talk about moral victories. Is it important that this Blazers team, as much as they've struggled, as bad as they've been against good teams, showed a little bit of life against the best team in the West and the fifth or sixth best team in the West? I'd say the Jets are pretty clearly the sixth best team in the West. So against two playoff teams, two teams that will be there when the in, in the postseason, does the Blazers playing well matter this time of year? You, they need wins. So I'm not trying to erase the losses. What I'm saying is, for a team that has clear issues, are they heading in the right direction just by being okay against good teams? My gut says kind of. My gut says having Damian Lillard play as well as he did in the last two games and getting the type of help he did, Simons looks better, uh, CJ was not good against the Lakers. He ended up being fine, but he wasn't good, like capital G good against the Lakers. He was downright bad against the Jazz, but had 17 in the fourth and was crucial in that comeback. This kind of seems like the formula. Dame very good, some random supporting cast help, like... Anthony Tolliver hitting four threes against the Lakers, or Scalabi Sierra playing important crunch time minutes against the Jazz. Dame being all-world, random supporting cast help, CJ timely buckets, Anthony Simons a double-digit score. Like, this seems, to me, this is their formula, right? This is how they'll get where they need to go. And I think... They looked better than I expected they would against the the Lakers, and they were more competitive in that second half against the Jazz than they had any reason to be after how poorly they played early in that game, where they just could not could not guard pick and rolls to save their life. So, my gut is that the moral victories don't matter; that playing the right way and losing do- doesn't really matter. But the other side of that coin is that. Well, I mentioned the Blazers aren't going anywhere. I said that earlier in this in this segment. You know, they're they're basically essentially tied with the Spurs for that final playoff spot, narrowly ahead of the Suns and Kings, who are the Kings are a mess. They've lost six in a row. The Suns, who they play on Monday night tonight, if you're listening to this on Monday morning, it'll be a crucial game. But the Suns aren't particularly good. The T Wolves, you know, they've lost. Carl Anthony Towns for a while and things got really out of control. They don't look like a team that's on the char- on the going to make a charge for the eighth seed. So, kind of no matter what the Blazers do, they're going to be right there for eighth. It would be hard for them, barring you know, knock on wood, what what I'm, what I'm about to say, but barring injuries to one of the Blazers' best two players, or you know, basically really just Whiteside, Damon, CJ. Bar if those guys are healthy, it's particularly all three of them together are healthy. This team is going to be right there for the 8th or ninth spot in, in in the West. And for me, it seems like they'd be hard-pressed to get way below that, sink well below that for tanking purposes, as long as they're healthy. So, while I don't think the moral victories matter, I don't think this team is just about to pull the plug, so playing well against OK teams is kind of the best you can hope for. This is where they're going to end up. They're a mediocre team that had high hopes, 
The roster is junky. Some of the moves they made in the offseason, pretty much all of them haven't panned out. Whiteside is not a high-level starting center. He's maybe barely a starting center in the league. Bazemore is just he's just not what he was. He just can't shoot. He doesn't have enough offense and isn't quite enough a defender to make a difference on this particular roster. Anthony Tolliver had made four threes against the Lakers. This is his best he's been all year, game 33. Anthony Simons, who we talked about in the second segment, is getting there but not ready at age 20. And then all the other crucial players that they were going to count on this year, starters Zach Collins and Rodney Hood are out for the year hurt. So yeah, moral victories feel gross right now. It feels it doesn't feel right if you're a Blazer fan to say, you know what, we played well and lost against a good team. I'm happy with the results. But I kind of think that's the best the Blazers can sort of hope for. They're stuck in a weird spot. Even if they make some drastic changes for this season, they might be stuck in this weird spot. Eighth and not very good. Destined for getting smoked in the opening round of the playoffs. So, if you can hold on to anything at this moment, I say hold on to a moral victory. You, your team played pretty well against the Lakers. That's better than getting blown out. Alright, in the second segment, I want to come back and talk about Anthony Simons. He's had two good games in a row, and the way his season has gone, he's getting a full segment because of it. All right, welcome back. We talked about the Blazers and whether moral victories matter. I kind of think yes and no. You can tell me where you stand, at Mike G. Rich on Twitter, or you can just yell into your, your microphone. You can just yell at your podcast if you think I'm being an idiot. But what I want to talk about in this second segment is Anthony Simons, the Blazers' second-year guard who's posted back-to-back double-digit games for the first time since November 19th. That's more than a month without scoring, and that's basically five weeks, almost six weeks, without scoring in double figures in consecutive games, and he did it. Against the Jazz, he looked really good. Got to his spots. I thought he was really good in the mid-range. Against the Lakers, he did more damage at the rim. He's been really solid in the restricted area for the last couple games. He's only missed two shots inside the restricted area, and one of them was when Dwight Howard clobbered him and he couldn't get a blocking call. So let's say he's missed missed one shot and one time he got absolutely clobbered. But to to me, it's not the numbers. You know, he's shot pretty well above 50% in sort of that mid-range area, outside the restricted area, but in the in the inside the three-point line, where he does a lot of his damage, where he kind of gets around a screen and finds himself a little bit of space. He's got great touch in there. And he uses his quickness kind of to get himself to those spots. So it's more about how he looks. He looks confident taking those shots. Simons has never been shy. He's always been someone who's, I think, shot maybe more than he should have in some of these games. Not always shot, that's kind of mean. But um, I feel like sometimes his decision-making was questionable. He would just kind of decide to shoot as the ball came to him and then get up a shot that he maybe he maybe didn't need to take or put his head down and get into the paint and have nowhere to go with the ball. But I think over the last two games, his decision-making has looked sharper against uh, teams that are solid. You know, the Jazz and, and the Lakers are two 
playoff level teams. I think it's important to, in the moral victories column, it's important for Simons to play well against good teams. I think notably those last back-to-back double-digit games, one of them came in that beatdown against the Rockets, kind of the, the first time the Blazers all season. That was back in the second week of November, uh, third week of November. It was the first time they just got really beat, blown out, lost by 24. And then the second one came in the Dameless loss uh, to the Pelicans. Dame didn't play. Ant started and had 13 points in 36 minutes. So these are games off the bench in the regular rotation. Obviously, no, not having Scalabies here kind of changed things up, maybe forced the Blazers to go smaller longer. But against the Jazz, when Scal was totally healthy, Anthony played down the stretch in the fourth quarter because they needed him. He played deep into the fourth quarter against the Lakers, but the Lakers are just so big along the front line, I think Stotts felt compelled to go back to Bazemore. Um, I'm not sure that was a great idea, but but I... I kind of knew he would. You kind of got the feeling you would just because Ant physically is not a great matchup for um, one LeBron James. But I think it's worth noting that Anthony Simons, 33 games into the year, this is, if, if you remember when I did the season previews, I said if Ant takes until January to get ready, it's fine. I didn't kind of see the season going like this for the Blazers. I kind of thought they'd be 19 and 14, not 14 and 19, but here we are. And it, why I said it's fine is because he's 20 years old. He barely played last year. It seemed reasonable that it would take him a while to get his rhythm. And for the last month, for the last six weeks, he hasn't been in a rhythm. And whether that has been because he's just straight up missing shots he can make or because he's trying to find his way in the offense or because he's struggling against NBA-level defenders who, are, who kind of have him on their radar to some extent, or, you know, or like I said, or just missing shots, just just bad luck for six weeks. He, he probably hasn't gone through many slumps in his life. He's only played high school basketball, and he was talented enough that he could just go get a bucket if he needed it. Probably the first time in Simons' life that he's had extended struggles to score the ball, and he looks like he's starting to figure it out. I don't think this is sort of a he's back moment or Ant has arrived type moment. I don't want to suggest that. I don't want you to read too much into this segment of me celebrating two games where Simon scored 15 and 14 points and was, you know, shot a little better than 50% from the floor. This is not a celebration of a kid who's ready to break out. I should say a young man who's ready to break out. But this is... The Blazers planned on him being this good, on him being a 14, 15 point a night scorer, someone who could go get points against NBA defenses looking to shut him down. They planned on him being him looking like this. I thought it was a little overzealous. I think I was always um, saying that there that you needed to be patient with him because he was young. I don't know if I always said that. I think I I was high on his ability to score, but worried about the rest of his game. And he's not an elite wing defender by any means, um, but he's probably not as good of a scorer as I thought he would be. But this is the kind of, I think this is the Simons that the Blazers had banked on seeing, and I'm not surprised it came in January. Like I said in those season previews, the, it, don't bury him if, if it took 35 games into the season for him to get there. And I think there's going to be more ups and downs. You know, when, a, when the Blazers blew out the Knicks and Simons had 16 and five, maybe 16, five and three. He had a nice game against the Knicks. It wasn't that big of a deal when they blew out the thunder and he had 14 off the bench. I don't think we 
sort of collectively those who watch the Blazers were super excited about him. But when you put back-to-back games, you know, 15-10 and 10 against the Jazz, 14-6 boards against the Lakers, and you look as comfortable as he looked, I think you can start to say he's getting it. And I think that's the... That is the sort of the the height I'm willing to go on Simons now. Over the past two games, he's looking more comfortable. And he's always looked co- comfortable because he's so quick with those little right-to-left crossover. He's so um, athletic getting into the paint and kind of swooping in for layups. He loves to go to the left side and finish with his right hand. He, he looks the part, but I thought his decision-making has kind of slowed down and matched up with his skills a little bit more. He's starting to get there. Don't. Schedule the parade. Not just yet, but if there was a silver lining in this losing streak, and uh, at some point uh, we'll just have to admit there's very few silver linings this season. I'll say it right now. Very few. Very few. But Simons is starting to look like someone. Simons is starting to look like the Simons that the Blazers touted in August. Back-to-back games where he looks like he knows what what he can do, and the Blazers desperately need him. This would be a wonderful development for them if he could continue it going forward. All right, in the third segment, I want to close the show talking about more bad news. I saved you for the bad news for the end, so thanks for sticking with me to the third segment. But I want to talk about Scalabies here. Blazers have not announced what his injury is, but I want to talk about what the team might do if he were to miss a significant amount of time. All right, welcome back. Still Lockdown Blazers, still Mike Richmond. Still past first point guard. We're going to close the show talking about Scalabies here. Talk a little about Blazers playing well against bad teams. Talk about Anthony Simons looking more comfortable over his last two games. Now we got to talk about a little bit of bad news. Blazers started big against the Los Angeles Lakers. Terry Stotts, with an intentional tweak to his rotation, something that he's maybe been more willing to do this year with 13 different starting lineups. He's also been forced to do it this year with injuries. But he's looking for something that works, and he tried something against the Lakers. The Lakers start so big with JaVale McGee and Anthony Davis and LeBron James at the three, so, so Stotts tried to match it. He went with Hassan Whiteside, Scalabi Sierra, and Carmelo Anthony up front. Tried to go big. Tried to match size for size. But less than three minutes into the game, while chasing down Anthony Simons on a fast break, it looked like Scalabi Sierra maybe jammed his knee. It's hard to say exactly what happened. He he got called for what was a uh, kind of a stop a fast break type foul, and he he immediately grimaced and started kind of stretching his knee out, limping a little bit. It was about two minutes and 35 seconds into the game. Later, he, shortly after that, he took an intentional foul to take himself out and went straight back to the locker room, and the Blazers trainer went with him. Blazers almost, not immediately, but fairly quickly ruled him out for the remainder of the game, which is usually a sign that things aren't going great in the back. Sometimes I'll just say he's questionable and... uh it means that he's not coming back, but they're they're leaving the possibility open. Ruling a guy out right away is usually a bad sign. They're calling it a left knee injury. As I'm hitting record at about 3 in the afternoon West Coast time, on Sunday the Blazers have not announced any new information about Scal's injury. Now, while I'm recording this, should they release some, 
change up this last segment, but for now, sounds like Scal isn't going to play on Monday night against the Phoenix Suns, and here's why. If there were good news, the Blazers would already have shared it. This is like the text versus phone call rule. If you got good news, you text it. If you got bad news, you wait to call and talk on the phone. If the Blazers had good news, they would just announce it. The other reason why I don't think we're going to see Scal play on Monday night is because the team announced that they have called up rookie Moses Brown, two-way player Moses Brown, 20-year-old center out of UCLA. He was He's on assignment with the G League Texas Legends, uh, and the Blazers have called him up. Two-way players get 45 days with uh, the NBA club before uh, they have to be converted to uh, – NBA contract. Blazers aren't getting super close with their G League guys, but they're calling Brown up probably because they need another body. So what are, without knowing and without speculating too much deeper on Scalabissier's injury, I am not a doctor, but who I am is someone who understands the Blazers roster. So let me break down for you what I think their options are. Unfortunately, you probably know them because the Blazers have been so depleted that it's the dudes who are available. One thing as an aside, I think we have to stop saying that the Blazers are missing three starters. They're missing two starters from opening day. Yusuf Nurkic got hurt in March. This team was built with the understanding that Yusuf Nurkic wouldn't be back until February. Saying that they're missing three starters, it's disingenuous. Okay, that's my aside. That's my Blazers uh, injury rant aside. They have been depleted by injuries. One of them they knew about on March 25th of last season. But... No Pau Gasol, the loss of Zach Collins two and a half games into the season, not having Rodney Hood, who was going to play a little bit, maybe even a lot of power forward this year when the Blazers went small, is troublesome. Scalabissier was getting more minutes at power forward. He's also the Blazers' backup center, so who's left? The obvious one is Anthony Tolliver. I think you see more Anthony Tolliver both as a four next to Hassan Whiteside and as the backup center when the Blazers go small, mostly by necessity. I think Nazir Little is going to have to play a lot more at power forward. I think he's best at power forward because it allows the Blazers to get another theoretical shooter and ball handler on the court, mainly Kent Bazemore, or if the Blazers go three guards with Dame, CJ, and Ant, I think Nas is just better as a four. Uh, he can guard threes and fours. He is a little bit undersized and not, not maybe a really physical rebounder, but the Blazers, even when they were healthy, weren't a good defensive rebounding team, so I'm not too worried. I think Nas is going to play a bunch. Mario Hazonia has been dealing with back spasms. Uh, he was, he's was he been ruled out of the last couple games. I think getting him back and playing him, the, Terry Stott's kind of settled in, and he, he'd said this, I don't know if it's widely reported, but he's kind of said to the media that, that Mario, he sees Mario more as a three. But I think Mario's going to have to step up and play four because they're a little bit shorthanded. And I think maybe. And the Suns don't go super big. They mostly go four out with a true center in there at all times. Uh, Aaron Baines, DeAndre Ayton, Frank Kaminsky. But but their power forwards are generally maybe a little bit smaller. Dario Saric isn't tiny, He can, but he's not going to bully people on the block. But if it's Cam Johnson or uh, or others at four, I think they I think the Blazers can survive going with their small ball group they have now. In the long term, if Scal is going to be out a long time, and we don't know, and when we do know, when the Blazers do finally decide to share the bad news, I'll have it here on the podcast. But for now, 
let's talk about one game because it seems like Scal's almost certainly gone for one game. So I think we see a little bit of Moses Brown. I think you try to stretch the minutes of Hassan Whiteside as much as you can. I think the real max for Hassan is playing about 36 minutes. Uh, there's been a couple times when he's been really playing well and Stotts has rolled with him for a full quarter. And you can see Hassan get tired. I mean, there's just not... There's not a lot of dudes his size who can play hard and play really high level for 12 straight minutes. I think you kind of have to roll Hassan out in those eight or nine minute stints, but four of them, nine minutes long to get him to his 36 minutes and then just try to carve out 12 more minutes of center lineup somehow, I think it's your best bet. I think the Blazers go small. I think they could even play Kent Bazemore at the four a little bit. I think we might even get my dream of center Carmelo Anthony for a brief few minutes, maybe guarding Frank Kaminsky. We'll see. But all this is to say the Blazers don't have a lot of options. They've been depleted up front. Pau Gasol never playing a minute hurts this team, even if he was going to be limited at age 39 coming off foot surgery. Zach Collins only lasting two and a half games really hurts this team. They had a lot pinned on Zach. Missing Rodney Hood is obviously a big deal. Still waiting on Yusuf Nurkic is obviously a big deal. So the Blazers don't have a lot of answers. If you've watched this team, you know they don't have a lot of answers. We'll see what they do against the Suns. I think it'll be challenging, and I think we might get enough challenge where it ends up seeing a little bit of Moses Brown. That's going to do it for today's show. Really appreciate you guys listening. Tell your friends about this podcast. They can get wherever they already get podcasts. That's on Google, Apple, Stitcher, and Spotify. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.